So I think we'll do about a 30 minute meditation now. And today's topic is Samadhi because we, even though we haven't been meeting for a long time, I did finally remember that we were um, almost finished talking about the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path, except for the very last factor, which is Samadhi. So today we'll put our attention on that. And right now we'll have a chance to practice it. So please find a comfortable position. This is so important to be able to be really comfortable when you meditate so that you're not distracted. Um, I really feel that this is uh, beneficial because it's not about creating or enduring pain so much. I mean, if we have pain that we can't relieve, then of course we have to learn how to endure it. But if we are able to sit in a way that's comfortable, whether it's on a chair, on a, on a soft cushion, on the floor, or wherever, however, that is definitely preferred so that you don't have to deal with a lot of distraction from the body. So taking a few minutes even to really adjust your posture, having your spine relatively straight. I say relatively because some of our spines just won't be straight, <laughs> but it's not about the physical spine as much as it is about the energy flow. And so if the body is aligned, whatever way is natural for that alignment. Then it's open for our energy to flow freely through it. And energy is very much a spiritual as well as a physical kind of component. And the main um, inhibitor for the flow of energy, the flow of the breath or the breath energy in the body is when we're tight. So we wanna relax, relax our muscles and relax our mind. We can do this with taking a few deep breaths. Really letting the sympathetic nervous system kick in, or is it the parasympathetic? I don't know, but I think you know what I mean. 
that re relaxation. Coming to every part of the body. And as we pay attention to our breathing, following the breath in, staying present with the breath until the in-breath ends, and then there's that little space before you breathe out. Following the breath out. Taking the next breath in and you just be present with that in a very gentle, easy way. You can observe the breath from some particular point at the nostrils or in the belly or wherever, but it's it's not necessary. You can also be present with the entire breath as it comes in the body and fills the body and leaves the body. If you notice any tension or tightness or soreness or discomfort in any area of your body, you can actually direct your attention towards that part. Sometimes we say things like breathe into that sore shoulder or whatever, breathe into that area. Sometimes people say, what, what does that mean? And it's really about bringing the focus of one's attention with the breath right to that area. And see what that feels like. Or do whatever you find either intuitively or through experience to be helpful. To invite your body and your mind to relax, to let go. Let go of anything that might arise in the mind relative to the past. That's gone. Let go of anything pertaining to the future because that's just imagination. And instead, we can imagine, if you will, the, the calming of the body and the mind and a sense of peace. body breathing in and breathing out. 
and bringing all this energy to the body. Fresh oxygen. The out breath carrying away any kind of waste, any kind of impurities. And filling the body with this breath, with this breath energy. So we can be aware of the whole body. At the same time that we're aware of our in-breath and out-breath. As the body relaxes and we experience it in this way, which is calm and non judgmental, you may start to feel pleasant feeling arising. Some kind of joy. might be what in Pali is called Pamoja. This is lightness of happiness. Or it might be PT, which is stronger, more sort of more Mm, delightful, tingling or warmth. Other kinds of feeling in the body.
And the whole time we're aware when we're breathing in and we're aware when we're breathing out. And we might experience some tranquility, tranquility of the body. And tranquility of the mind. And all of this is like the path leading to samadhi. To this kind of lucid calm. Stillness. Bright mindfulness. Clear comprehension, clear understanding. In this calm mind. We can let this process unfold on its own. Our, our task here is to maintain our focus on that in-breath and out-breath. And to be present and aware of these experiences, these feelings, these indications that we're going in the right direction. And let go of everything else. You want to drop a suggestion into the mind, let it be one that's inspiring, uplifting the heart, encouraging, without references to self, just being.
Welcome back. I hope it was a good journey. So I'm going to talk a little bit about samadhi and then we can discuss how we, uh, how we find it. And um, I think I might share my notes with you. It's a little bit easier that way maybe to see what I'm getting at. Okay, so write samadhi. Um, the translation of samadhi is a little challenging. What do you call it? It used to be concentration. It's what the, the general choice was for it, but people are um, pulling away from that one because it has such a, a kind of a sense of bearing down on something or really putting a lot of force into being um, focused on one thing. Also, uh, one pointedness has a little bit of a a distortion around how the experience really is most beneficial, which is to, you're, you're focused, you're, well, I want to focus is hard too sometimes, your attention is, is um, unified and deeply immersed or absorbed. So absorption or immersion are some of the ways that people are translating samadhi these days. This morning, we're just gonna talk about what it is and why do it and how to do it. So it, what is it? It's, um, it's this becoming really calm and really shifting into an altered state of consciousness. And it works together with right effort and right mindfulness. So mindfulness is always present with samadhi. And it's very much a conditioning factor for samadhi. And so is right effort. But we have to be um, clear about what right effort is. So we've talked about it before. And I know that you're familiar with this concept. But it's helpful to remind ourselves that right effort is really about training the mind to be wholesome, you know, help those wholesome mental states arise and keep them going and, and to um, learn how to relieve the mind of the unwholesome mental states and to keep them from coming up. So that's where the effort is. Instead of thinking that effort has to be some kind of really strong determination pushing on the meditation. Because usually when we do that, we start to get constricted 
And whenever we get constricted or tight, um, we kind of spoil the whole project. You know, it's really, it's really important to be open and very aware. That's another place where, you know, it's not so much about force, but it's about consistency, being, um, being consistent about reestablishing our mindfulness, be consistent about, you know, returning to our meditation object, that kind of thing. Of course, in the suttas, right, samadhi is usually described in terms of the four jhanas. So here we have an example of where the four jhanas, how the four jhanas are described. This is from uh, Middle Length Discourses number 51, but you find this same language sprinkled throughout the suttas. So it starts with giving up the five hindrances. So now I don't necessarily um, see it that way. I mean, we can't always just, or let me see, sometimes I feel like um, directly head-on dealing with a hindrance may not be the best approach. That if we establish mindfulness and we can start uh, feeling that relaxation coming through the body, a lot of times the hindrances fall away on their own. So it depends on how um, virulent they are. But in any case, this says, give up the five hindrances, which are the corruptions of the heart that weaken wisdom. And then being quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unskillful qualities, enter and remain in the first absorption or first jhana, which has rapture and bliss born of seclusion. So that's piti and sukha. So bliss or happiness uh, is sukha. Rapture, which is, um, you know, if you don't, really know how that kind of thing presents itself. It can be confusing as to what it is. But once you realize that there are a number of ways that PT can be um, apparent, whether that's some kind of feeling in the body, which is like a, a tingling or fullness or warmth or something like that, and also in the mind, a joyful, kind of positive, uplifted experience. It's, it's that feeling of spiritual energy coming in. So while uh, this is happening, while the mind, it says here, while placing the mind and keeping it connected. So this is a translation by Bhante Sujato. Um, I think Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation is usually applied and sustained thought. And so this is, these are the terms we get used to, but we may, we have to um, notice whether or not we feel we understand what it means. So in terms of, you know, what's this? It's Pali is Vitaka Vichara. So the Vitaka is applying the mind to something or placing the mind on the meditation object. So we, we place the mind or apply the mind to the breath for example, and then the sustaining of that, 
application. That's the vichara. So we keep it connected or we keep it um, in our focus. And so this is, you know, we have to remember that these are descriptions of what happens or what might be happening as we deepen the samadhi. And so this is the, the first level of the first jhana. And there's a lot of disagreement um, among people about how much samadhi, how deep the samadhi needs to be to awaken. Ajahn Ganha, as I'm sure you've heard me say before, says not that deep. You know, um, from um, Ayasanta Chitta, who used to uh, live at Ajahn Buddha Dasa's place, he was her teacher. He said, you only need enough samadhi um, to have the, like, like the, the kind of concentration that it takes to put the key into the keyhole and unlock the door. And that's all you need. And there are other people who claim you've got to have all four jhanas. Um, so I don't think we should even worry about that. <laughs> I think we should just do this practice and enjoy it and uh, let it unfold in its natural way. And this natural unfoldment um, is further described here. Like then what happens as after of being in this state of, you know, intentionally keeping the mind connected to this meditation object. And, and there can come a point where that falls away. We don't have to be thinking about it. We don't have to be putting effort towards keeping it connected. Instead, it just becomes so still. Um, but you're in, of course, then they've labeled this the second absorption where there's rapture and bliss. So more PT and sukha that's coming from this immersion, from this uh, samadhi. And you have internal clarity and confidence. The mind is unified. And, and you don't have to be kind of putting it back on the meditation object. It's, it's just really there. Um, and then the third absorption is that the rapture fades away. So rapture, the uh, PT is, a, is, is, it's very pleasant and wonderful, but it's a little bit coarse, coarser. Um, and the more subtle happiness kind of takes the front kind of position in this third level of samadhi. And there's equanimity. Uh, it says, you meditate with equanimity, mindful and aware, personally experiencing the bliss, uh, which the noble ones, of which the noble ones declare equanimous and mindful, one meditates in bliss. So it's a beautiful mental state of, of um, yeah, it's, <laughs> You can listen to people like Ajahn Brahmali and Ajahn Brahm talk about these beautiful mental states, and they do a really good job of describing some of the kinds of things we might experience at that point, and then giving up, the fourth one, giving up pleasure and pain, so you're no longer 
feeling the body. You don't feel pain anymore. In fact, the body has probably disappeared by now. Um, and then you're, you're letting go of the ups and downs of the mind too, the happiness and sadness. And at this point, there's just pure equanimity and mindfulness. So that, that's the description of this, these levels of samadhi. And I think it's very important not to get caught up in where am I, what am I experiencing? This is just intended to be a bit of a roadmap. It's not, it's not like the prescription. It's, this is not telling us how. It's not something that, you know, like if we, if we try to practice to make this happen, we're not going to, it doesn't work. Um, so how do we make how do we make it happen? <laughs> Let's. I want to show you one more thing here before we move on to why do it at all. Um, I think you already know, <laughs> but here this sutta uh, number forty four. This is where um, the Bikuni Dhammadina is visited by a lay man named Visaka, and. Um, According to, I suppose it's commentarial. I'm not sure it says this in the suttas, but they say it's her ex-husband. So she became a nun and he came to see her. He's also a really strong practitioner. And he's asking her about samadhi. What is, what is samadhi? And what are the foundations of samadhi? And what things are the prerequisites for samadhi? And what is the development of samadhi? And I think her her answers are very short and clear that samadhi is the unification of the mind. And I really like Ajahn uh, Jayasaro's uh, words for this lucid calm that he uses in the biography of Ajahn Chah. So lucid calm. And so you can see like Ajahn Chah and many of the, some of the other forest teachers, they, they don't want us to think about these definitions of jhanas. They want us to just relax and go into them. You know, really um, don't, don't focus the mind on trying to get some particular experience. That's a real, it really messes us up. It also, if, if someone tells us, oh, well, those things that you're experiencing, this this adds up to stream entry. That's another thing that really messes people up. They get caught up in being a stream enterer or some such thing and, they, and they're not letting go of the self and they're not letting go of the practice in a way that helps, supports, or allows the practice to unfold. And it can get really stuck. So she says, unification of mind. So the mind is not going all over the place. It's not thinking of two things at once. It's just there, present. And the four kinds of or applications of mindfulness meditation are the foundations for samadhi. So when people think, oh, mindfulness and samadhi are kind of two separate things. Yeah, in a way that's true. I mean, we are talking about them as different factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. But mindfulness is so um, fundamental. And the four kinds or applications is what's usually been called the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, 
there are uh, translators who feel like that's really kind of um, um, misleading because it's not, they're not really foundations, they're uh, applications. I like applications, like you apply mindfulness to the body or to feeling or to the mind or to the Dhamma, but you're applying it to, it's, it's, it's a different kind of understanding than you get from foundations. But here you see it is a foundation for Samadhi. So the mindfulness is essential for Samadhi. And then this, you know, what are the prerequisites? It's the four right efforts. And, um, you know, I've written in here, what about relax to the max? Um, which is what Ajahn Brahm talks about. It's like, and I, I said it before earlier, you know, it's really the ongoing gentle, but like consistent effort to purify the mind. And, we're going to see in a minute that this is this is really where it all begins. Um, sila and purifying the mind, the purity of the mind. So we'll get to that a little bit deeper in a minute. And then what is the development, the cultivation, development, and making much of these same things is the development of immersion. So you're really developing the purity of the mind using those four right efforts. You're really developing that habit to, to not indulge in um, unwholesome mental states, not get wrapped up in what we're angry about, irritated about, what this person is doing, what that person is doing. You know, we're turning it back to what's wholesome, what's generous, what's kind. But wisdom, know what people are up to and what we're all, our own mind is up to. You know, you don't overlook that. You're, you're not um, just putting those colored glasses on, but you're not letting the mind go negative there. You're not letting the mind like be overrun with fear or craving or, you know, so that you're always paying attention to to sifting that out of the mind, dealing with the feelings that arise from it by facing them. You know, so this is beautiful because the Buddhist teachings are really complete. It's a complete system. And at the same time, it's consistent. You see different teachings coming through these original suttas that meet uh, and fit together like pieces of a puzzle. No matter where you read it from, it fits together and reinforces this kind of system of living and thinking and training and relief from suffering. Why do we do it? Well, I like this little piece of this sutta. This, this is from... Um, the middle length discourse is number 48. This is when the monks were, were fighting with each other, arguing. There was a, there was a um, big disagreement in one of the groups. And the, the Buddha was uh, informed about it and asked, he was asked to come and try to help them. And, and he went. And, um, and it's a, you know, if you haven't seen the sutta, I would recommend you look at it. it. 
the, the monks there actually said, oh, don't bother with us. We'll take care of this. This is our problem. And, and they're just like embroiled in this, in this disagreement. And the, the Buddha, um, maybe this is a, there, there might be two different suttas about this, but um, at one point, you know, he, after they tell him, you know, no, just, just leave it, leave, leave us alone and let us like duke it out. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine kind of telling the Buddha to just think buzz off? <laughs> uh, so he just like gets up in the morning, goes to get alms and comes back, eats his food, puts his, his, his um, sleeping place in order. And he stands there telling them off and, um, I don't think this is the sutta where he tells them off. I think this is the sutta where he's still trying to get them to see the light. Um, and one of the things he talks about in this sutta are six principles of cordiality. So six principles that help us get along well with each other. And so this is a beautiful sutta. And the part here about samadhi that I find interesting is it says, when one dwells both in public and in private, possessing in common with their companions in the holy life, those virtues that are unbroken, untorn, unblotched, unmodeled, liberating, commended by the wise, not misapprehended and conducive to immersion. This too is a principle of cordiality that creates love and respect and conduces to unity. So in this, you know, in this, the, this idea of having this really solid sila, really solid moral, morality, ethics, virtue, and that that is what supports samadhi. It's conducive for the mind going into samadhi. So it's good to just be really clear that samadhi is something we don't make happen. We can't decide I'm going to have samadhi. <laughs> we have to put in the causes and conditions. It's like we can't decide, okay, 10 a.m. this morning, oh, we're past 10 a.m. I better make it noon. At noon today, I'm going to be enlightened. <laughs> we just can't do it. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's something that we put in the causes and conditions. And we make our effort going forward to be upwards. We, we put our intention there and, and we purify the mind and it's a process. But when that, that beautiful mental state comes, yes, all of our good efforts, including our intention to relax and let go, that all makes a makes the puts the conditions in place but then it just happens it happens when it happens and so this is this is how we need to prepare for it for samadhi and then for enlightenment too okay so why do it so that whole idea of where does the samadhi lead is it it's not just some good feeling it actually leads to enlightenment and is essential for enlightenment. So as we're putting in the causes and conditions for samadhi, get this list. This is from the Guru Nikaya. And it's, it's really lovely. It's, it's very much like the transcendent 
dependent origination that we see also in the Sanyuta Nikaya, um, where it starts with sila, it starts with ethical conduct by body, speech, and mind. And, it, and in this sutta, I recommend you look at it. It says, you don't have, if you have good sila, you don't have to think, well, may I have the experience of non-regret? It just naturally happens. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to have the volition. The volition comes in making the conduct ethical. And what's interesting about it is that sila isn't, it's not just the five precepts. That's the baseline. That's like below that, you're acting like an animal. Five precepts, you've, you've made it into the human realm. This is something that they say in Thailand, so the way they think about it. And it's, it's got some basis in the suttas. It's like, no, we're not just going to uh, go out and feed on each other. We're going to have, um, you know, ethical conduct, spiritual um, kind of uh, actions, generosity, um, caring, honesty. But it comes down to even right view, you know, um, you know, like how we, how we interpret what people say and do, how we interpret, um, or how we, you know, whether we are judging, how we, um, how, what kinds of conclusions we come to about other people and about ourselves. And, you know, this is all, you know, Oh, am I really, do I really have solid sila in this regard? Can I take a position that's harsh or do I take a position that's generous and kind? And again, so you always have the wisdom factor there. It's not like you just brush things under the rug. You see them for what they are. But there can be a very different um, attitude of the mind in these things. And, and so the more we... We purify our ethical conduct into these levels of how my mind is oriented. The, the more we experience non-regret. And that non-regret, he says, when, when you have a mind that has no regret, then pamoja, joy, that kind of joy arises. It's a it's the joy of seeing the Dhamma. It's, it's like um, Ayananda Bodhi talks about her youth, her young life, and when she was young, it was really tough. She had a lot of, um, there was a lot of abusive behavior that she was subjected to and other things, and she was pretty miserable and depressed as a teenager. And then she read something. She read the four, about the Four Noble Trees, and it just hit her. It's like, wow there's a way out of this. And with that kind of experience comes this joy. It's like, it's a joy that there is the Dhamma. Um, in the chain of dependent um, arising, it starts with faith. Faith comes, it's like this faith that there is a way out of this and joy comes from that. So the Buddha says, you don't have to make joy happen, it just arises out of this non-regret.
or it arises out of faith. And from the joy, there's an automatic, um, natural um, arising of PT. So it's a more intensified joy, um, this spiritual joy, spiritual energy. And from there naturally arises tranquility, pasadi. And you can see how it goes. And then the sukha, the bliss, the more subtle but really refined, beautiful happiness. And then samadhi, this immersion of mind and all of the kinds of beautiful states that can come with that. But this is in this, in this section on why. And the why is because with samadhi, you're touching into that. Um, you might, I don't know how you want to think about it, a reservoir of knowledge, of wisdom, that helps us to really know and see the way things are. Yata bhutang janati pasati, pasata, pasata. So this is like, these are the words, this is a little different than some of the other passages, but it's like to truly know and see. And from there we become, this says disillusioned, um, I'm trying to think of the other words. Uh, disenchantment is used sometimes, but some translators don't like it because it's not strong enough. Uh, Nibbida really has this kind of sense of I'm done with, I don't have any interest in this world with all of its uncertainty and um, falling apart. It's not quite right either. Um, it's not about a lack of interest. It's a lack of, of desire for. And it's, a, it's really more of, it's kind of a pushing away of like, I don't want to encourage this in myself. There's still an interest in this, uh, relieving the suffering of um, helping but that's different. This is like this most disgust with the world. And then there's this word, um, a lot most of the time is viraga in this sequence, but in this particular sutta, it's virajati, to, to be dispassionate. And that leads to realizing knowledge and the vision of freedom, so full enlightenment, emotin to see there's enlightenment and then you see that there is enlightenment. So this is why we want to do samadhi. It's not just to feel good, <laughs> although that's great. <laughs> and we should uh, feel good. So then how do you do it? Well, the only thing I put here in the notes is use mindfulness of in and out breathing. And of course, it's not the only meditation approach that's viable, of course but it does um, fulfill all of the requirements. So if you only use mindfulness of breathing, you've got it, it's enough. Mindfulness of in and out breathing, as the Buddha said, fulfills 
um, all of the foundations, let's see, oh, we like that other word better, the applications of mindfulness, and it also fulfills the enlightenment factors. So that's all you need. So the whole idea here is, yes, it's good to understand what these different states are like, um, but we don't make them happen. We, we turn our mind in that direction and we put in the real required factors. It's like, it's like if you're going to get some college degree and there are these prerequisite classes, and then once you do the prerequisite classes, you don't have to really make an effort to do anything else. It just happens. <laughs> That's kind of how this is. <laughs> so the prerequisites are, you know, to, to really um, work with that wholesomeness of the mind and, and, of course, speech and action also to really get the sila down. And, uh, and, and one of the things that you can think about if your meditation is a struggle, look back at, at what you're doing in your life thinking, saying, um, and doing, and see if there's a way to purify it more. And it's, it's really um, something we can almost always find some way that we can further purify our, our conduct. And that's the most likely thing to bring about um, more richness in our meditation. So I'd like to hear from you now if you have questions or comments or stories or anything. Complaints are also okay. Yes, Karen. I kind of have a question actually when you're I really liked what you said about how, you know, you don't say, okay, I'm gonna, gonna hit the second jhana today. It's more of a, just be patient and practice. Um, but I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Like, I, I do feel like I'm stuck in that trap of trying to get the first jhana now that I've read about it, right? So my mind, I think I'm a little stuck there. And I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I need to knock that idea. So um, I was wondering if you could just give me some advice on that. Yeah, I think what you might try is to get quiet and be present with that feeling that comes with that wanting to get the jhana. So it's like there's a desire there and there's a feeling there. And if you investigate that feeling and you stay present with that, especially if you can locate it in your body and be present with that feeling, give yourself some, um, some soothing around that and let the feeling change and pass through. And then, you know, to, I mean, I think in a lot of, a lot of times to be more kind with ourselves to be less, in some way, less goal-oriented. I mean, we can make, um, you know, kind of practice uh, goals, like I'm going to meditate two hours a day, and maybe that'll work for a while. 
Um, but if it becomes something that's, um, I mean, you can tell when it's like not returning the, the, <laughs> the desired result. Um, but anything like that, like what you're, what you're saying, you know, where is, where is it really rooted? Uh, where, where is it coming from? And can we let go of that? And we do have to turn towards whatever feeling there is in order to work that through. I feel like I'm going through this debate with my mind. I'm trying to show my mind that there's a better way to be happy, mm -hmm. a better way to find peacefulness. And I feel like it's rebelling on me and saying no. And I keep trying to show I mean, do you think that's a good method? I, I used to be like, oh, I'm going to do two hours a day, this and that. But I did find I was falling into that goal trap. So, mm -hmm. I, so I got rid of that. And, and I thought I would take the philosophy of just trying to show my mind that there's a better way to live. And so I'm kind of working with, with that kind of. Yeah. yeah. I think what you suggested would work really well with that kind of practice I'm doing. Yeah, we do, do need to convince ourselves sometimes to actually do the practice. But if we can do that, and sometimes what really helps is doing it with other people and spending more time with spiritual friends, if you can. And, and um, you know, like, like people were saying, there's so many offerings right now, Dhamma things, and boy, you can tune in almost any time of day and get something, I think. Um, so that might be helpful. You, we do need to find ways to encourage our mind. I, I feel like there's this mind is like a child that I need to train. You know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't want to do everything that it should do. And I've got to like encourage it and beating it up does not help. <laughs> we have to be more, um, more skillful and gentle than that. But there is the wisdom part of the mind. And I, I kind of hear that in you, you know, there's the wise part, the almost parental part that says, look, this is important. You're going to feel better. Um, but sometimes it's hard to pull the mind away from the other sort of more scintillating distractions and um, actually do the, the meditation. And it's not just a problem in the modern age. The Buddha said it to the monks, you know, don't waste your time, meditate. Otherwise, you're going to regret it later. So, yeah. We just have to keep working on it. Yeah, thanks. That's good advice. I do find my mind is getting more attracted towards quiet things than uh, titillating excitement. Great. So I'm finding that beneficial. So thank you. Good. Yes, Linda. Uh, what one of one of the things that I've um, missed this last couple of years um, since, since COVID is the opportunity to actually go away from my home and go on retreat. And, and not to say that's the only way to, um, to settle the mind, but to have a, a period of time where that you have no other distractions um, really can set, you know, kind of set the tone um, for doing it 
back home as well. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm uh, intending to do this year is, 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 you know, go off on a, on a retreat. Um, and I did, I, I mentioned, I did the, um, the Birkin retreat with Ajahn Suja, uh, Sona and, um, it was, it was between Christmas and New Year's, and I did have some other commitments, but as far as the, um, but I, I was able to, to focus on all of the actual event times, and um, I added in, or I, I continued to do my own morning meditation, and then there was an, an afternoon sit and an evening sit, and about four days into it, I thought, oh my, am I, I mean, I just noticed you know, the level of just calmness and just joy that I felt. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I did gain more of an appreciation for the, you know, the time to step away. Um, it, it just makes the whole process a little easier, it seems. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I mean, all of these tools, we we need to really pay attention to whether or not it's helping us, and if at what some point the mind turns it into something else. Um, I'm convinced that the human mind can pervert anything, <laughs> so we have to watch out for that. Um, and and it's it's true what you're saying. If we if we can do a retreat, if we can, if we have to be at home, I mean, it does make a difference to sit with other people. When I was in Portland, someone who lived in San Jose and used to come regularly to programs we did in person in San Jose has moved up to Portland and she came to the session we had on Sunday morning last week. And she was so excited to just, like she said, this is the first time I've sat with a group of people since the pandemic started. And it's just like, it just like, you know, was so helpful for her. And, you know, yes, yes, we're missing that. I think all of us are. And, um, and how do, I mean, it's great that you could do that with, um, with the Birkin community and feel at least some, significant degree of that kind of spiritual connection and community and support and practice. It also helps a lot if we can have a dedicated space in our house to practice. Um, you know, uh, not everyone can have a meditation room, but maybe some corner somewhere that is really for practice. And, you know, you build up an energy there and you walk past and it pulls you over into, you know, and um, you know that any any kind of thing like that that we can do to encourage um, the mind in that direction of calm and peace is good yeah yeah I'm uh, I'm planning to go to um, I should let you know this. I'm planning to leave around February 4th to go for three weeks of meditation at Empty Cloud Monastery in New Jersey. We'll see what happens with this, this extraordinarily huge wave of COVID. 
to see if that actually occurs. But um, it's the same thing. It's like even we have a monastery, <laughs> but it's our monastery. So we're dealing with the leak in the, in the roof and the, the, you know, whatever else is going on, <laughs> brokenness and um, this or that. And, you know, it's, it's like it, getting away from where you have responsibilities to a place where you can set that all down and be supported um, and not have to worry about where your food is coming from and everything else. It's very helpful. It can be very helpful. And of course, there's um, the more I think about this kind of like what we just talked about, this, this idea that we need to prepare the ground if we really like, if you're going to have retreat time, if you put some effort into thinking about how to refine your sila beforehand, that could be really helpful. And it's it's not just like, you know, you, you, I'm sure you're all living a very good ethical life, but it's more than that. It's the mental states, you know, like what do I let my mind chew on? <laughs> that's not healthy, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, things like that. So there really is no regret. And it's not just like some big bad thing that happened. I mean, we, we may all have that. We've all done stuff, but we need to learn how to forgive that and let it go. But then, you know, even the, the subtler energies that get created by our grumpiness or our um, um, judgmentalness or whatever it is, um, it's good to look at all that, see if we can let that go. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.